should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Michelle Miao, your host. Thanks so much for joining the program. Uh, the Michelle Miao Show is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us this Tuesday. John, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Michelle. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing okay. Well, you know, the, the, the honest truth is uh, the LGBTQ community is suffering in a lot of ways, as many other communities are here in this country. But we had a great loss. Friday, it was reported that Gilbert Baker, who's known um, for being one of the founders or involved in the design, I'm not going to argue with anybody, uh, but he uh, absolutely was involved or known as the founder of the LGBTQ flag, has passed away. And, you know, so many people were posting stuff about how sad they were because they genuinely knew Gilbert. They were friends with Gilbert. I got to meet Gilbert many times. He's participated in San Francisco Pride many times, obviously. Um, and I've got I've gotten to shake his hand. I've taken selfies with him. But I won't be that person to claim that we were good friends. And I won't be that person to claim that, um, you know, his passing uh, is is personal for me in a level where, you know, he was my buddy. It was personal for me, or it is personal for me in a sense where when the community, the LGBTQ community is under attack politically, we're losing one of our heavyweights, our giants, um, those who have paved the way for someone like myself to, to be able to do what I do and to be who I am, those who have history of fighting back and losing someone like that just makes me realize being, you know, a generation behind or so how easy all of these rights or all these things that they had fought for can quickly be taken away and that we should never just kind of relax and hang out at the bar like everything is going to be okay. And it kind of scared me in a sense because then it was like, you really have to step up now. Like you have no choice. Like who else, if they all start passing away or, you know, we are all being rounded up. I mean, so many people can't even answer who's the next Harvey Milk. Not that there needs to be a new Harvey Milk, and I'm not discounting the fact that there's so many people in our community who are leaders, but that's just it. Where A lot of us are living this life where we have to be leaders. Sorry to get on a soapbox, but I just well, really had to say that. I mean, and, and that's actually a, a good way to get into that uh, matter because, of course, Gilbert was, you know, he, he, he passed away in New York where I guess he'd lived for the past uh, two or three decades. But uh, he had been in San Francisco in the 1970s. He had worked with Harvey Milk and, and had been very involved in that entire effort, which was people taking not just t 
taking stands but actually doing stuff, you know, both in and outside of government and and power and power. So um, his passing, like you said, even though personally it might it, you know, I certainly never knew him at all. I don't have any selfies with him, but uh, um, it it is a good reminder of okay, folks, we can do this too. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. positive to this, you know, the, and and it, yeah. it, it, it involves getting involved in doing stuff, being the one who is the change. Yeah, and I, you know, to address what's happening in our country and many of our rights at stake, at risk, in danger, um, the, all those words are actually reality here for a lot of us Americans. I, I don't think that Gilbert Baker would want us to, to just mourn, you know, his life. I think that he would want us to all continue to hold that flag with purpose. And I don't think that it's necessarily about Thank you, John's waving the LGBTQ flag uh, that exists here in the studio. And I, and I don't think that he'd want us to just raise it in animosity and hatred and anger towards the groups who are attacking us or those who are anti-LGBT or who are oppressing our communities. But I think that he would want us to raise it with also confidence and celebration of who we are and that we should never go back in the closet for even if, you know, someone like Donald Trump is somewhat pushing us back in the closet. Because I will tell you, I think the tone of his presidency, he may not, and there might be some of you in the LGBT community who will argue with me that he's not the—he's not homophobic. He has gay friends, blah, blah, blah. Look at Peter Thiel. It's like his buddy. I just want to throw up right now. But he may not be quote-unquote homophobic, but he certainly has spread this fear and this tone or this attitude of uh, or or he has spread anti-LGBTQ or homophobic attitudes in this country for sure, transphobic as well. Um, so I did want to take a moment to reflect on Gilbert Baker's passing. I know that there is a memorial that is being planned by Cleve Jones that will exist in the, in New York as well as San Francisco, and of course you can count on San Francisco Pride in making sure that Gilbert Baker will be. Uh, memorialized, recognized, remembered, celebrated, you name it. I mean, what date? June 1st is the first day that those flags go up on Market Street. Um, so if you have thoughts or you want to share your stories or if you've got memories of Gilbert, you can you can let us know. You can join the show by heading to michellemeow.com. Well, let's get today's program started. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. So, John, I was uh, celebrating Transgender Day of Visibility on Friday, the day that Gilbert passed. And uh, a woman comes up to me, and she listens to the, the show, the podcast, the show here on Progressive Voices Network every day and has noticed how many times I've replayed a show. So I want to say hi to Karen. Karen, thank you for calling me out and for letting me know that regardless of how many times I replay a show, you always listen because it's one of the only shows that recognizes and is inclusive of our community and that is authentic and genuine. So thank you for those words. And I promise I'll stop saying 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time (laughs) and I'll say it's 4 in the evening on the West Coast. Does Does that sound better? Um, or, or daylight savings time, or does it? I don't know. I don't know. I, t- I tend to just go with like 4 p.m. California time. Uh, hey, you know what? I I'll represent California <laughs> all day, <laughs> all night. So 4 p.m. California time is is the the start time of the show on Progressive Voices Net- 
Network. With that being said, I thought we'd take the day to discuss, you and I, John. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if if you head to HuffingtonPost.com right now, I don't know if it seems dramatic or if it is the truth, but the headline is, this is how the next world war starts. So maybe we should discuss that a little bit. I don't, I don't know everything that's happening with Russia, but it just seems like it's getting closer and closer and closer to this idea that Russia is absolutely involved uh, or was involved, you know, in the or has meddled with our presidential campaign. And there's more there might be more to it. Do you feel comfortable about just giving us your thoughts regarding Russia? Uh, da. <laughs> um, yes, I, and I've had a number of discussions about this lately with various folks, both political folks and some foreign policy people and just those of us who are not in either field. Um, and it may well come down to Donald Trump maybe did purposely collude with, you know, he and his, his folks purposely did collude with Russia, or maybe they didn't. But um, so many of these meetings that they've had with various Russian officials who turned out to be spies or, you know, the, the front men for the lead spies and stuff like this, um, the fact that so many of them were secret and that they have gone to pretty strong lengths to, you know, avoid reporting them and telling about them and all their money ties does suggest that um, it's a mess for him. I, I mean, what, what we're already seeing is it is causing chaos within the administration. And we're talking about an administration that runs on chaos to begin with. Um, and uh, just yesterday in the Washington Post, there was an article about uh, Betsy DeVos's brother, who uh, is the guy who uh, I think he either founded or he led uh, Blackwater, which you might recall from all of its good community work over in Iraq. Um, that's called sarcasm, people. Um, they're the private security firm that was involved with a number of things that uh, did not do any good for America's reputation. Um, anyway, her husband apparently, between the election and uh, the inauguration, uh, used a Gulf country as a base to set up uh, private meetings to have a secret back channel between Trump uh, officials and Vladimir Putin. So. Um, this kind of stuff just comes out <laughs> almost every day. Uh, you know, Mike Flynn, the former national security advisor, uh, basically looking for um, uh, immunity before he uh, 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 pleads, before he talks to the Senate. Um, and, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll just have a bunch of these people taking the fifth. Now, does this lead to war or does this lead to the U.S.? basically being hobbled in protecting its interests. I mean, it, it's an interesting foreign policy issue. As much as I love to talk about foreign policy, I don't know that that's why Karen and others are tuning in here. But, um, you know, if it does lead to war, that's a lot of folks who are going to die. <laughs> and it's a lot of innocent people who are going to, you know, die or be deprived of loved ones and all of that kind of stuff. So it, it's a serious matter. Um, and really, I, I would... I would go back to what uh, we heard from both from officials both in the uh, Obama administration and the George W. administration, George W. Bush administration, when they were basically asked, uh, uh, you know, what is the thing that most frightens you uh, about you know foreign policy? Because a lot of the attention at the time was on like Iran and Iraq, and the answer that a number of folks really in the know said was. Pakistan, <laughs> North Korea, 
And those issues are both out there. And, and I guess what would scare me, perhaps, more than Russia, Russia is out to basically increase its influence, right? But Pakistan and Korea, North Korea, are both still out there and both still basically powder kegs. So, you know, people are going to watch those, and those are the kinds of things that it's going to be easy. And I think what, what, when they said that those are the things to watch for danger, it's because those are the places where it's so dangerous <laughs> that it's easy to trip into a war. So, um, and that's why you really want to have people in these positions of defense secretary and secretary of state and, oh, I don't know, president, who are cautious. So now that I've made you feel good about things, um, how do you feel about getting into war? I never want to go to war. Um, but I know that, you know, the country is at war with many other uh, – we're, we're, we're always at war with someone. We just don't really know about them. But at the same time, the Russian relationship makes an everyday person like myself, an average person who – and I call myself average because nowadays I've, I've, I've actually have started tuning out news. It's just unbearable. And I don't know if any of your listeners or if you get feedback from those who you come into contact with at Commonwealth Club talk about this, but it's almost like you don't know who you can trust anymore. And I enjoy Rachel Maddow. I enjoy her show now more than ever because I feel like she's one of the very few people that I can trust when it comes to actual news but I think that not knowing what the heck is going on between Russia and the United States makes me very uh, scared. And I don't know if that's what they're trying to do, because I'm always thinking that Trump, in the beginning, that's what all the media folks were reporting, that you know Trump, the Bannons, all those guys, this is part of a bigger strategy, guys. Like This is all part of, of, of helping you take the eye off the ball and maybe I've done just that I'm taking the eye off the ball and I'm scared and maybe that's what they want me to feel I am going to be a contrarian and say I don't think they're that smart and not just because I want to downplay them but um, a there are a bunch of people in that administration who never in the world in their lives thought they would actually be where they are certainly quite a few of them have no idea what they're doing um, and See, look at what some of their top priorities were. Obviously, there's been the, the immigration stuff that's ongoing. Um, that's going to be probably a legal battle for as long as he's, uh, you know, issuing these executive orders and things and uh, doing the increased deportations and uh, going after sanctuary cities. But, um, you know, their next big thing was to get rid of Obamacare, and that was a debacle. And I was just reading something this morning on Politico.com, which uh, was about... Their, one of their next big things they want to tackle, which is, um, oh, God, I can't remember what it is, but it's something that they also cannot do because it also is going to be a big fight within the Republican Party. What I'm getting at is they're not master strategists there, and especially in the first 100 days or so of the, of the presidency, um, that's when you really want to have, that's when you have all the momentum. That's when you can twist your your, part, your own party members and say, "Look, the president, you know, needs you to, to do this and and uh, you know vote for it, even though you might not like it, and we'll support you something on something down the line." I think, and I, we discussed this uh, on a previous show. I think there are a lot of uh, Republican congressmen and women who are saying, "Yeah, you're not going to be any help for me in my reelection anyway. You might not even be in office when I get up for reelection, um, so I'm not going ah. to do anything." 
brave for you if where our interests coincide, such as taxes, and that's another one one of the things they want to tackle soon. Um, then I'll support you. And when they don't, you will not be able to buy me off politically. And of course, what is politics? It's horse trading. It's compromise. Um, so I, I don't think there's like some master plan to, aha, we're going to do this horrible thing so you take your eyes off of this horrible thing that we're doing. Um, I think they're kind of doing whatever horrible thing they can get at at the moment, and uh, that's their plan. Now, it's all based in this very much populist, nationalist outlook of things, but he, they're not silent about that. You know, it's, uh, they've always worn that right on their chest. So a lot of that stuff that used to be kind of coded racial talk and, and uh, you know, white identity stuff, um, you know, that, that, was, that was out in the open. So why do they want to divert your eyes from anything else to do? Thanks so much for that, John. Uh, there's a few other things I want to bring up, and, and let's touch on some of the immigration uh, policies yeah. or you know, whatever um, Trump is trying to do now, as well as the healthcare stuff, because there's still some rumblings there, and I have no idea what they're trying to do or what they could even propose. It just doesn't sound like they have a clear-cut uh, plan. Um, so we'll get back to that, but let's first take a break. Don't go away. The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. It is the fourth day of April. Did I get that right, John? Yes, ma'am. It is <sighs> April 4th. It is April 4th. Hey, I didn't even check in to see if, oh no, that's back in February about the groundhog. Okay, what happens in April? Oh, well, it's the groundhog April 4th. popped up, <laughs> but he was quickly deported. So <laughs> that didn't go well. It was kind of awkward. Everyone was kind of embarrassed. Uh, you know, on April Fool's Day, 
I tried so hard to come up with a joke, but like all the bad jokes that I could play on people are realities of Americans today. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was the first day Sean Spicer, the press secretary, came out and actually told the truth. Just, just to mess with people. <laughs> That's a good one. Thank Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. John hosts his own show, which is called the Week to Week Political Roundtable Talk from Commonwealth Club. And it airs here on the Michelle Miao Show on Progressive Voices at 4 o'clock California time. <laughs> um, so make sure you tune in for that. And we're just taking the time to check in with John since he has so many of these political discussions of trying to walk through, again, what's happening. I feel like, unfortunately, although, you know, last year or the year prior, we were doing a lot of interviews that just really touched on the community and gave our community, you know, voices ranging from political to artistic to cultural. We now have to focus so much on what's happening politically because our lives can change like after this show. You know, I I wanted to ask you about um, the immigration stuff because I think that a lot of people have gone a little bit quiet about immigration. And just because a Supreme Court judge has put a hold on the president's executive orders doesn't mean that Homeland Security is curbing any of this activity. The deportations and what I consider abuse and attacks on the undocumented communities um, are are going very strong. I mean, they're deporting people from uh, fathers who are dropping off their kids to shop owners. I mean, you heard the story of the Trump voter who didn't realize that they were going to take her husband and deport him because she thought it was just going to be the bad umbras. Um, <laughs> let's ex- let's let's talk about that. Yeah, it it you know, I actually want to go back 20 years, 19 years, something like that, uh, when President Bill Clinton was was in office. And there was a bill passed, and I guess he signed, that turned it from, if you were uh, in the United States from another country, let's say you came here under a visa or something, and you fell out of status, as it's called. Maybe you you didn't get your, your visa renewed or something. Before that, you typically paid a $1,000 fine, you flew back to your home country, and you could return after a weekend or so. That law made it, that change in law made it so that uh, if you were out of status for any reason, you uh, would have to leave the country, and you could not even apply to come back for 10 years. So effectively, you know, go restart your life somewhere else. Um, So it's been tough for quite a few years and that then the enforcement of that in fact got really bad very tough under the uh, Bush administration after following 9-11 so it hasn't been wonderful times for immigrants in the United States for quite a while Um, what is of course ridiculous right now about President Trump uh, the Trump whole administration's attitudes toward immigrants and in particular uh, Latin American immigrants is there, there's been net, uh, what, a, a net negative uh, uh, immigration, I believe, certainly huge drops in the numbers of folks coming into the United States for years now because of, for one thing, the economic collapse that, that happened, and then already enforcement was pretty tough under Obama. He already was the deporter-in-chief. So he's taken a position. He comes into office, Donald Trump. He's got a strong economy. So why is he focusing on this? 
he's going after folks who aren't trying to get into the United States anyway. You know, it's not like it's a, an out-of-control crisis. And he's going after people he said he wasn't going to go after, like you said. He said he was going to go after the bad ones, which is what that woman said, when her, that Indiana woman said after her uh, undocumented husband was deported. Uh, people who are caught uh, with minor criminal things, you know, DUIs, uh, stuff like that. Uh, as Jennifer Granholm, the former Michigan governor, said, also a lot of times when they talk about a criminal background, all they mean is you came into the United States illegally. Therefore, you're a criminal. Um, I think if you, you talked about people who were, you know, who were murderers, who, who had, you know, histories of, of these serious crimes being deported, most people, including most liberals, would say, yep, that's fine. Um, what we're doing, I think, has a lot more to do with race and um, uh, it, it, someone, someone recently said basically what we're seeing is the, the, you know, the Steve Bannon kind of wing of the Trump administration basically trying to redefine the U.S. again as a, a white European country. Well, okay, I'm a white European background guy. I don't see the United States that way. <laughs> and, of course, my household is half Asian, half white, or half cat and half human. Depends mm -hmm. how you count all of us. Um, but... For a certain amount, number of folks, and of course, yes, tend to be older folks, that whole idea of this country is changing is, is a strong thing, and unfortunately, the reactions to it tend to be racial and um, negative, as opposed to saying, oh, okay, I've got different people in my church now. This is interesting. I want to see what their lives are like. It's more, well, you know, I heard all these foreign languages when I was taking the bus to work, and that's terrible. And that is what is more driving this immigration policy than any real impact on economics or anything. On the other hand, the impacts it will have are negative for uh, business, right? Because right. a lot of businesses rely on um, immigration, mm -hmm. and uh, it's going to be bad. Well, I mean, I can, I can speak from personal experiences rather than give you something tangible or or factual, and, and I'm, I'm going to argue that even if we were going to just stick with the facts, there's not much there either, because it sounds like a lot of those who are making these decisions, these sweeps like ICE and Homeland Security, anybody, you know, even down to TSA, it, it almost is like discretionary, right? It's, it's like if they've got a gut feeling that you're, you're a bad person and they look you up and there might be a, a, a parking ticket or a violation, and that falls in line with whatever Donald Trump is trying to say is the new law. Things can change for you very quickly here. And all of a sudden we're questioning, well, who is American and who is not? I was looking up the Homeland Security website just now. And, I mean, even the tone has changed so much. Everything about it is like anti-terrorism, how to look out for violent, you know, uh, extremists type people, active shooter preparedness, and it's like, geez, you know, um, when was the last terrorist known, you know, terrorist attack, massive terrorist attack in the United States? I don't know off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, we, we generally, and not only that, when has there been one that was perpetrated by an immigrant? That's I, I guess you know. that's what I'm specifically trying to say. I mean, I mean, the first 
thing you see is executive orders on protecting our country. So it sound, it looks like it's not necessarily homeland security. It's Donald Trump's homeland security. Yeah. And then if you go to the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services webpage, um, it, it's, it's a direct attack on everyone who is here on a work visa. Because the first thing you see is, you know, what we're doing to crack down or keep keeping jobs for Americans or, you know, let me let me wait for the uh, the uh, the right banner to show up because it it's on a rotating banner. Um, well, and that, that was sorry to interrupt. But yeah, that was the, the latest action they're taking, I guess, this week going after H-1B visas. There which you go. Here in the Bay Area is a huge thing. Um, I think one could argue they're overused. One could argue there are a lot of companies in the Bay Area that will not be here if they can't uh, bring in skilled labor from elsewhere. Um, but either way, it's it's an area that uh, is going to, again, economically, it's going to have an impact. And uh, it's going to cost a lot of people a lot of money because either their company is going to be affected negatively or if they can no longer, if they are targeted by the uh, by ICE, um, even this is actually an interesting thing. Okay, it's horrible enough. I mean, it's really terrible if you're, uh, say, undocumented and you are of low economic means and you then fall into kind of the ICE machinery, right? You know, hard to get legal uh, help. Um, you know, it, you're you're going to be uprooted and all that kind of stuff. But even if you have money, expect to go into debt, having to then pay for really good lawyers to fight this, and and then you know still face the possibility of having to leave the country and all that kind of stuff. So, it's it's equalizing a lot of folks against the Trump administration and its aims. Well, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll continue our conversation. I also want to bring up what's happening in Chechnya. Uh, and the roundup of uh, at least 100 gay men who have either been uh, killed or beaten or uh, criminalized, thrown in jail, uh, you know, and and kind of what's the story behind that. So don't go away when we come back. John Zipper and I continue our discussion on this Tuesday, I guess, evening for some. We're timeless. (laughs) We're timeless. Don't go away. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Many nonprofits rely on events to raise money, create space for community gathering, and offer opportunities to network. But how many hours in a day do community leaders have when they're busy changing the world? Imagine your next event, gala, festival, or celebration professionally executed with creative ideas and ideals to match your community service. IDK is the community's trusted event production company. Visit idkevents.com for all your event production needs. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. 
Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. John Zipper and I uh, just walking through the hour and discussing what's happening with our country. Um, I've got a couple of foreign friends. I just want to share this very quickly before we get into some of these issues impacting our community. Um, a couple of foreign friends who are here some for school, some for work, and some who are going through the green card process. And, and they all are, are listening back home of what you know, people think. And I won't name the countries that they're from, but everybody seems to, to, you know, and they show me social media pages from friends in their home country who are literally mocking what's happening in America. And in some ways, some of these people, you know, from other countries, I think are in disbelief and in shock or don't even actually believe that what we're going through is what we're going through. And I was trying to explain to some of these friends, like, no, I'm, I'm very serious with you that this stuff is going on. And for someone like myself, who's LGBTQ, queer, and, you know, you, we don't, I don't have the financial resources to fly in a private jet somewhere if something were to happen or, or, or you know, have an underground home. Um, I'll be the first to say that I'll be informed before the rest of my family and or certain communities who are just kind of where you are at, not really thinking that this is all happening or it's happening or they're afraid to say something who aren't necessarily like part of the resistance uh, and when I say resistance, anybody who's doing anything to to talk uh, about Trump and his administration and all the things that they're doing wrong. But John, you and I can confirm here on this show, and you're a white guy, and you're highly intelligent and educated, and you've got your own talk show, and you do politics way more than I do, and I can only give you my answer, listeners, from experience as a queer woman of color, that it is, it is, it is crappy here. And, and, and some of the, the, the changes have been drastic, it's been fast, and it is creating a lot of fear, and people are losing their lives, or things, it's chaotic, I think that's the word. Yeah, I mean, we grew up in, in a country during a time when we kind of thought things would go on pretty much as they had for a long time, you know, where the biggest shift had been in the past, in my lifetime, it had been Reagan getting reelected. Oh my God, that was going to change everything, and and in many ways it did, but it didn't 
um, fundamentally changed certain rules. It changed certain attitudes and politics and policies, but didn't fundamentally change the rules. Um, and what we're now seeing is, uh, and I get this from from what I've seen from uh, people overseas as well, talking about what's going on in the United States, um, very much a sense of they are just as shocked as we are because they thought the United States was much more stable. And I mean, let's face it, it's it, the idea of going against the establishment is no, it, there's no monopoly on that among conservative populists. I mean, that's been a left-wing thing as well, too. Um, you know, you want to change things. You want to hopefully improve things. Um, and the folks with the power are the ones you have to either convince or get rid of. Um, but what we're finding now is just how much can be changed negatively and how, how um, what's the word, at the mercy we are of those institutions, how at mercy those immigrants are of uh, you know, the professionalism and humanity of agents and judges and, and uh, you know, guards and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's, it, I think I would prefer a little more trustworthy, stable establishment. Okay, let's walk through a few stuff. I'm, I'm like going all over the place, by the way, everyone who's tuning in. And I, I think that when you tune into news, it, it is even all over the place. And mm -hmm. the one thing that Donald Trump is doing for the media is he's given, and, and his administration is giving us people, you know, who do this type of work so much to talk about. Because <laughs> um, there's other things like, you know, Neil Gorsuch, Judge Neil Gorsuch. Right. and the confirmed this week. So probably confirmed. Now, the Democrats have answered back in that they'll filibuster or they'll do something to delay the decision. And, of course, some, you know, Republicans are, are crying. Uh, so funny that that's happening now and, and calling that injustice and not giving Neil Gorsuch a chance. But, but talk to us about, I mean, what the Republican uh, Senate did last year when, you know, President Obama was trying to nominate Judge uh, uh, Garland. Mm -hmm. the, what they did to Judge Garland is way worse than what the Democrats are proposing to do to, to Gorsuch this year, don't you think? Well, and let's also say they're different in kind as well. Merrick Garland was duly nominated, and it was 100% within the Republicans' expectations and responsibilities to at least give him a hearing. They can vote him down, but they should at least give him a hearing. They refused to even give him a hearing. Someone wouldn't even meet with him, you know? Whereas the Democrats, a lot of them have met with us, with Neil Gorsuch, um, and they're using their perfectly legal and responsible right to say, no, we don't think he's right for the position. So they can filibuster. Um, what they're looking at the Republicans doing, what the Republicans are saying they're going to do is then get rid of the filibuster. And what that means in in uh, non-Washington ease is that instead of needing 60 votes or 61 votes, or I forget which it is, in order to break the filibuster and then uh, you know move on, uh, they just need 51. Well, the Republicans have 51, and that's why I'm saying Neil Gorsuch almost certainly will be on the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, this actually kind of gets back to the whole idea of, oh, is this a huge shift? And I'm not so much sure that it is, because I think what we're seeing is Sooner or later, the Republicans were going to do this anyway. If it wasn't this vote, they would do it on another one. You know, we might very well see in the next four years another one or two Supreme Court justices who retire or pass away. 
um, a number of them are, are getting quite elderly. So um, I, you know, I wouldn't weep terribly if it, it does get, you know, gotten rid of for this. Um, it's more an issue of, I guess, watching it and kind of with a political eye, wondering what leverage can the Democrats get out of this? Because if they do this now and they get rid of the filibuster over this, over something they're going to lose about eventually, and all they're doing is getting some street cred with their supporters, that's one thing, but that doesn't actually give them any more power in Congress. If they can somehow use it, threaten it, and not and whatever it is, and there, and there are a number of different senators out there with different hopes of how to do this, um, but that will give them some power in Washington, even though they're the minority party, then um, that might very well be you know, something you'd look at and say, okay, well played. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, and, you know, here on the show, we did do a review of why Neil Gorsuch is not good for us. And I say us as an American, as Americans. And so if you want to hear that, head to MichelleMeow.com, click on the podcast, and I'll make sure that I kind of just provide that segment and make it easy for everyone to tune in. And I don't know if uh, our political roundtable discussion includes anything about Neil Gorsuch? No, I believe it's our LGBT rights discussion. So, Oh, okay, great. Yes, that's right. We had a great uh, discussion with Commonwealth Club um, talking about religious liberty and those types of bills that are popping up all across the country and how that has put LGBT rights at stake. That was a great program. Thank you so much for helping us put together. Well, um, thank you. You guys have been great partners with this. This is actually the second program we've done with you. The previous one was on Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ issues. Um, and, and the night that that happened, I guess, was the night when news was leaking out that North Carolina was going to repeal its uh, anti-transgender bill. Mm-hmm. Um, today, the NCAA uh, said it was you know, lifting its, its uh, tournament uh, uh, boycott of North Carolina, even though the the repeal bill actually includes a prevention of localities, local communities, from passing uh, anti-discrimination laws until 2020. Um, what are your thoughts on that, can I ask? Well, you know, one of the things that I pulled away from the discussion, and thank you to Rick Welts, the COO and president of the Golden State Warriors, um, who joined in on that discussion and and gave us some insight of what it was like for him Mm -hmm. to talk to a a group of NBA owners who wanted his opinion as one of the few and only uh, out gay men in the league to to talk about what this what does this mean. And thank you, Rick, for standing up and being honest about how discriminatory the bill was. One thing that I did take away from that was the $350 billion bleeding of, of money from North Carolina. And it wasn't so much that I was like, ha, 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 to the politicians, because at the end of the day, those guys get to go home, and, except Pat McCrory or something like that, who <laughs> can't find a job. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but most of those guys get to go home to a warm home. And they get a warm dinner. And I can only imagine what $350 billion is going to do to some of those local cities in North Carolina, uh, to some of the most rural, uh, most poor. And, you know, let, if you want to get down to race, the, that's inclusive of every single race. So when you take jobs away and you take money away, it's not the rich people who are going to suffer. It's really, you know, the communities that, that exist in poverty that will suffer. And... 
So I'm I'm somewhat torn, and I almost wish that there that you know CEOs and big uh, politicians, leaders, and influential people found a different way of fighting HB two. And what 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 could have been those ways? I'm not sure, especially when you've got someone like Donald Trump in office. Um, so it is very 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 tricky. What what this repeal, quote unquote, I don't want to even call it a repeal. What it is is a replacement yeah. of HB2. Um, the thing that I want to let everyone know is it's scary because now these guys have found a loophole that they think that they're, they're, they'll be able to replicate across the entire country. So we need to be prepared. We need to learn from this strategy of their playbook and bring some of the most talented and best of the best attorneys political leaders, rich people with influence to the table to ensure that these types of bills don't sneak through um, the cracks. It, it, it will be important also to fight against um, what crusade fatigue, if you will. You know, it's like a lot of these folks who did take brave stands in North Carolina um, might well, uh, you know, kind of back away from having to take such a stand you know, in, in now six or seven other states and, you know, where that starts to make perhaps really affect their business. Um, so, yeah, keeping that pressure on and keeping the publicity on it is important. It is important. I have trust and faith in communities, though. You know, um, I know that the social uh, acceptance of LGBTQ people has increased. So when I say that, I trust that, you know, for for, I hope what I hope, and I and I want to have trust in America. Good, you know, wholehearted Americans who believe in humanity will not follow through with these types of bills. I mean, who are the people who are going to exercise their right to discriminate? It's going to be the people that I will not want to find myself in their shop anyway. Um, so things like again the LGBTQ flag or the trans flag and placing those out in your businesses and letting people know that you're inclusive and that you're friendly is going to be a good thing. And now we're going back, you know, 10 years ago, even not 20 years ago, when, bef you know, the LGBTQ buying power is in the billions. So even from like a business perspective, it's not a market that you need to be rejecting. Well, and, and let's also be clear on a purely selfish basis for a company, um, it's not even the LGBTQ buying power they're concerned about because even that is a portion of it. They're concerned about that when it combines with all the straight allies who say, yeah, I don't want to shop at a place like that either. Maybe because they have you know friends and family who are in the LGBTQ community or just on a values basis, that that's not them. So. When you put all of that in, the, the buying power is huge. And, and uh, it, I, I don't actually know how it will happen as this gets replicated across the country. However, North Carolina was not, of course, the first state where businesses flex their, you know, uh, their, what, their pocketbooks or whatever. Indiana also saw that happen with uh, 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 Salesforce.com saying, they, you know, they were going to pull out of stuff held there. I think Arizona got some blowback as well from businesses when they tried to do some stuff. By the way, very quickly, and then we'll take our very last break. I thought it was interesting, though, um, because Mark Benioff of Salesforce was mm -hmm. supposed to be uh, part of our religious liberty discussion. 
Sales, as you had mentioned, yeah. and uh, you know, it, it has been announced that he is part of Donald Trump's innovation and tech team. Um, so, I, again, what do I think about the NCAA caving? I think the same as someone like Mark Benioff trying to protect, you know, and, and walking this tightrope. We will never know what their life is like. And just to quote uh, Doug from the CEO of Walmart, um, in which he said, I'd like for you to walk in my shoes one day, you know, I, I would, I, who knows what happens to these guys and what, what kind of exchanges or, and or bullying happens. I'm sure of it when it comes to money and lots and lots and boatloads of cash, you're not necessarily able to sleep at night either. It, it's interesting because the, for the, these companies that are public companies, they legally have to maximize uh, their returns, right? So, if they do something, you know, they're kind of, if they're really successful and they've got a track record of de- delivering uh, for their shareholders, they'll get a bit of leeway when they pull out of a state or or flex their muscles on on this thing or that thing. But if it's something that really does hurt the share price, yeah, they've they've got to attack and 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 or they get ousted. Great point, John. Well, let's take that final break. When we come back, John and I will start wrapping up our thoughts and uh, send you away with what you could be doing next, because I think that that was the spirit of keeping this show alive. And I also want to share with you privately, not privately, because it's public, but there are some changes coming up for for the show. And just to kind of give you some explanation as to why things have just been a little... Well, I guess weird. Uh, Good news is I'm not alone. You're all in it with me. So don't go away. We'll be right back. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years, and uh, over the past couple of months, I just opened up my club, Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now, because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody, and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and, and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. I I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude. Um, just to entertain people and so it seems like that works you know I would say to young kids you know just kind of form your own identity and uh, and you know don't let others dictate how you should behave or think uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis if you want to see drag we've got that for you if you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties we have that for you spotlight on success and achievement Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. 
And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this uh, beautiful Tuesday in San Francisco. It's beautiful as in the sun is out, not necessarily because our lives are getting any better. You're probably going to get tired of me crying and whining, but who else am I going to cry and whine to? That's why you tune into the show so that we can all feel like we're in this together. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Um, you know, I don't want to end the show without mentioning that there's something happening in Chechnya that is frightening. It's very terrible, and and uh, you know, more information is, needs. I, I need more information to be able to speak about it intelligently, and so I don't want to make assumptions or um, allegations of any one person, but. There's news coming out that uh, over 100 gay men have been uh, targeted. Some have been beaten. Some have been murdered. Some thrown in jail. Uh, and this all started after pride groups um, or a specific pride group. I think it's uh, Gay Russia who went around trying to apply for a pride celebration in four different places. And Chechnya was one of them. And... Um, you know, I think uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get the name, but there is someone, probably the president of Chechnya, a leader, who had said that gay people don't exist in Chechnya. So these allegations of what's happening um, is untrue. However, good old Facebook, uh, not that Facebook is the leader of real true news, <laughs> uh, but there have been reports from certain accounts. Facebook accounts of people talking about even a 16-year-old who had been beaten to death and his uh, uh, bones being sent back to his family in a bag. Um, This is really, really, really scary stuff. And if you'll remember, Russia passed an anti-LGBT law or uh, uh, anti-LGBT propaganda law. Um, So that is the most that I know about what's happening in Chechnya. Yeah, I guess it was, uh, from what I read, it was first reported in a Russian newspaper, um, and then NBC News, of course, uh, helped spread word in, in the West, but uh, very disturbing. Uh, what was going on in Russia was scary enough, um, and uh, so you kind of mix Russia's official homophobic, homophobic laws and attitudes with uh, you know, Chechnya, which is a heavily Muslim area with some conservative uh, religious uh, folks there. And it's, I don't know how many leader, listeners we have in Russia or Chechnya, but, you know, wow, be safe. I mean, it's not good. It isn't good. Um, I have an activist who is part of my network, and I don't want to out him or say his name, and, and his Facebook account has mysteriously been deleted. Um, but that's what's happening is a lot of LGBTQ people are deleting their um, their Facebook accounts and, and, and their identities in order to not be targeted and identified. One of the things that I did, well, the reason why I want to talk about this is because Pride celebrations are coming up. And there's so many activists um, who are now uh, active, who have been woken up from 40 years ago or so, who now feel like we need to be doing something. And their first reaction is to organize the way that they did 40 years ago, which is to protest, to scream and shout, to, to, to run into war, basically. And I want to I be careful about sending that type of message. 
And I think what's great about this resistance movement is that it's been inclusive of people of all ages, of, of all color, of all gender. Um, and it has woken up people who had, had not been politically active at all. But not all of us can afford to be outed and identified in that way. And I, I feel like we have to, in some ways, stop putting our communities at risk and find ways in where we can make an impact in today's freaking time. It's 2017, and what worked 40 years ago could possibly work today, but it's only one action that I think uh, we can take into consideration, but it is not the only action. It may have been that way 40 years ago, but it's not now, especially as we address intersectionality within our own movement. I would, I actually don't know enough about that to get into it, but it, uh, as far as being a broken record, I would say, uh, you know, what does matter and what will matter greatly <laughs> and what's already affecting people in, in Congress and, and stuff that therefore affects all of us is people voting, <laughs> you know, and in 2018, it's actually almost becoming commonplace now in Washington writers to pretty much expect that the house will flip. Mm -hmm. Well, if the house flips, game over. If we, if, if, if this administration makes it that far. Right. But if the house doesn't flip, we've probably got a full four year term for Donald Trump. And, um, what I think we've just just on that political era, but area, but um, that means that as we saw with the immigration, the first immigration executive orders, if one thing doesn't work, they try another. If that doesn't work, they try another. So you're talking about four years of, of having to do stuff. Well, um, if you live in a an area that uh, you know your vote matters, which is every area, and you don't vote, but you're able to, um, you know. I, I, to, to uh, steal a line from Madeleine Albright, there's a special place in hell for you. Thank you again for saying that. I think we need to say that actually over and over and over and over again. Um, some of us are going to be great at screaming on the streets, but a majority of us need to take that screaming on the streets to the freaking, you know, booth to vote or run for office or do something to disrupt the way the government works right now because you know somebody else has taken over it's not the voice of the majority of americans and i love that in some spaces when we say you know donald trump won the election people will correct and say no he didn't get the popular vote he luckily was elected by the electoral college there's something real about that that it's not everybody's belief but if we're not going to show up and actually do the work then we risk again 2018 staying the same um and 2018 is not that far away so if you're gonna start working at you know the uh, politically if you're going to start organizing politically to change the house or, or do something there and you start next year say march you decided you know start in march i think that's too late the, I just saw something today. The Democrats are aggressively lining up big names to uh, run uh, for Congress in uh, 2018. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to get involved, maybe you're already a member of a group that's a politically inclined one, um, great. If you're not, uh, maybe you want to help out a political party, 
now's a good time to go over there and do it because uh, actually I have a good chance of, you know, kind of getting a lot of experience, but also um, uh, the, the Indivisible is in a number of cities in the country. And uh, I think we all, everyone who has trouble with Trump owes a big debt to Indivisible, and which is a very uh, actually female-led organization, as I understand it. Hmm. we got to have them on the show. Hey, thanks, everyone, for joining us here on this Tuesday. If you've got ideas, questions, thoughts, head to michellemeow.com and let us know. We'll be back tomorrow, 4 o'clock California time. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>